Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. You know, my buddy Christian McLeod, the cryptid guy, alerted me to a new survey that's out about how many people have seen a ghost. And, you know, I usually really don't even take uh, surveys that seriously related to the paranormal because the terminology being used is still up in the air. I mean, that's because these subjects we are addressing are mysteries. So I think there's a lot of misinterpretation and uh, reinterpretation that can go on here and, and asking someone, have you seen this? And maybe that person calls it something a little different. It reminds me of uh, an analogy I sometimes use that was first used by Jim Mars. Uh, he said, you know, if you have a crowd of people and a little green man runs through through the room, well, one person says, oh, look, there's an alien. And another person says, oh, look, there's a leprechaun. And another person says, oh, look, there's a demon. So it's difficult to, to survey people, I think, uh, about these issues. But nonetheless, uh, this survey is presented by the Independent in the U.K., and the headline is, Majority of People Believe They Have Seen a Ghost, Poll Claims. Three in five people have said they have seen a ghost in their lifetime, according to a new poll. With Halloween just around the corner, a new survey of 2,000 people found most believe they had a supernatural experience, with 40% saying they thought their pet had one too. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, one in three had either lived or stayed in a house they felt was haunted. Uh, and let me pause for a moment to say that, you know, you might say, wow, that's amazing. Three in five people believe they've seen something ghostly and that might shock you, but it doesn't really shock me because you probably aren't running around every day asking people, Hey, uh, I know this is a weird question, but have you ever seen a ghost or you know anything spooky happen around here? You probably don't do that because you're a normal person, I would assume, most of the time. I, on the other hand, am a little different. Uh, I've spent now, you know, over 25 years asking people, Excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, sir. Uh, odd question for you. And breaking that ice and what you find is that, yeah, you do have people who, who snicker, but most of the time, most of the time, when you ask that question, it's really surprising how the person sort of like brightens up and, and is happy to discuss this and says, yeah, I, I have seen some strange stuff. Um, and, and I'm talking about like in many cases, I don't introduce myself i don't say hi i'm the great and terrible joshua p warren paranormal investigator who has come here to diagnose no i don't say i'm just a guy at the bar or the the dude in the library or at the bookstore or you know you just never know and i'll just say uh i won't even introduce myself at all I, they don't know who i am they don't know my name i just say question and a strange question but um are there any ghost stories about this place? You know, And so people, they say, yes, yes, yes. And, they, and so it's not that surprising to me that three out of five people on this poll would say that this is the case. 
So the story goes on to say, and now this is a little more interesting, when confronted with a ghost, men were twice as likely as women to scream and run away, while other initial responses included crying, hiding, and fainting. Now, that I don't, I'm not exactly sure how a survey can really get into that level of detail. I guess, I guess you know, what did you do when you saw the ghost? Oh, I screamed and ran away, you know. I, I guess that would be how they're including that kind of data. Um, but you look, uh, here's been my experience. Because, you know, I have seen ghosts, and I have talked to so many people who've seen ghosts. I mean... I am perhaps the world's top expert on ghosts at this point. And that's just because that, you know, I, I have been studying this stuff for so long uh, with a, a, a fixed point of view on this whole dynamic of how things manifest. Let me put it this way. I, there are a lot of great ghost experts and researchers and investigators out there. But um, I don't think any of them have any more insight than I do. Let me put it that way. And what usually happens when someone sees a ghost is, well, that person is not expecting to see the ghost. I mean, because I go to haunted houses and stuff all the time, and most of the time I don't see anything in the haunted house. And in fact... For me, because going to a haunted house has been <laughs> kind of normal, um, when I do see a ghost in a haunted house, it's still unexpected to me. Because uh, So anyway, when most people see a ghost, it's, it's unexpected, and so instead of them just screaming and shrieking and running away, what happens is they are initially confused and because uh, they don't know exactly what's happening for a moment because there, there's something there you know and uh, let's just say it's a person or whatever there and the witness sees the person and at first assumes that it's a person where who is this person where did this person so there's a moment of like sort of shock where you sort of freeze and you're trying to figure figure out what's happening because this is such an unusual moment. Now, once you realize you're looking at a ghost, well then, I guess, who knows, you, you can react in a lot of different ways, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that people are going to just spin around and go running off screaming unless they are already sort of primed for that, like they're going into a situation where they, people have told them you're going to see a ghost and they're getting all creeped out and then finally they see something and then they flip out. And in that case, people can be triggered by the smallest things. You know, if I tell you oh, this house is haunted and I take you to some big creepy mansion, I'm like, oh yeah, there's ghosts in there. And I give you a little flashlight and you're walking through that thing and, I mean, you're just, you know, you're on edge, you're... you're, you're willing you know you're you're flinching at any little thing and all of a sudden you walk into a spider web you know or a cobweb or what that could be enough to make you just spin and go ah and, and then like that's it for me I, you know something touched me 
I felt something in my hair, you know. But that's uh, that's a very Halloween-oriented point of view on what it's like to possibly encounter a ghost. So I don't know about that part. But anyway, uh, just as a, I guess a little appendix to this article, it says that in the same survey, um, they were asking people about other types of fears. So, by the way, that the, the very fact this is here shows you the perspective that the survey was taking. So they must have been saying not just, hey, have you ever seen a ghost? But they must have been saying, like, what are you afraid of? So that's, again, a whole different point of view, and that's why surveys are uh, often so misleading. Take them with a grain of salt. But it says here, the survey also identified other fears that give us the shivers, such as snakes, spiders, sharks, drowning, heights, public speaking, failure, bees, cramped spaces, and rejection. It also mentioned in the article that um, more people said they had rather have snakes slither over them than be in the middle of a swarm of bees. Well, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? I'm not sure I've ever really thought about uh, whether or not I would pick... (laughs) Snakes versus bees. (sighs) Well, you know, I don't like snakes. Uh, Sorry, folks, if you're a snake lover. They creep me out, you know. Um, I'm not as uh, as scared of them as, like, Indiana Jones is. You know, I have picked up snakes, and, you know, I have played with snakes and petted snakes and all that. So, I mean, like, I'm not... I'm not super freaked out by snakes. But, you know, I wouldn't want to lie down and let a bunch of them slither on me. I can tell you that for damn sure. Um, I'm not particularly fearful of bees either. But if you want to get right down to it, I mean, if I were going to make that call, I would have to say, like, well, what kind of snakes are we talking about and what kind of bees are we talking about? Um, I mean, if... Because, you know, there are snakes out there that are harmless, and okay, the worst thing that might happen is the thing bites you, and it's going to hurt, but, you know, nothing horrible is going to happen. Then you have these venomous rattlesnakes and stuff like that. Now, you know, if if you ask me, do you want to have some garter snakes or, you know, versus rattlesnakes, that's a huge difference there. Um, Now, bees... You know, most of the time, I mean, you can get stung quite a bit by bees, and it's going to suck, but it's it's not going to do any permanent damage unless you have a real bee allergy. But, um, but you know, snakes, you know, I, again, I, I don't know, man. See this, see, this is what I'm talking about with surveys. It's too friggin' general, you know, like all these kinds of questions. Generally speaking... I guess, in some caricature cartoon world, if I had to have, okay, you get a bunch of snakes of some kind or a bunch of bees, I uh, I guess I'd take the bees, to be honest with you. And they said everybody else would prefer, according to their survey, snakes, but I think I'd rather just sit there and be calm and take my chances with the bees than have a bunch of snakes slither over me. So I'm opposite of what they're claiming the average person said in this survey.
So think about that yourself. Um, I'll tell you a funny little story real quick while we're talking about snakes. I have a a good friend, I won't give his name here, who um, he works outdoors a lot. And he told me that one day he was, uh, I think he was like in in a yard near a construction site or something. And he saw this little baby rattlesnake. And he was immediately fascinated. So he picked up the rattlesnake. And, you know, it's, it's not hard to pick up a snake if you know what you're doing. You just, you just come in um, from the back and you just grab it by the neck, you know. Now, immediately, as soon as you grab a snake by the neck, the snake does not like what is happening. And it'll open its jaws and it'll start twisting it, its body around you. And it feels very, very creepy. I mean, it takes some... Uh, some cojones to just like hold a snake when it's doing all that you know grappling and writhing and i mean it a lot of people would immediately go ah and throw that thing anyway so he grabs this little rattlesnake and he's fascinated this is a very curious friend of mine as you can tell and uh so anyway he said that the little rattlesnake opened its mouth and a tiny little drop of venom came from one of its fangs and landed on his wrist and he said almost as soon as that happened he could feel the sensation like ice go moving up his arm through his veins just from the skin you know absorbing this he could feel that venom going up his arm, and he was like, oh, crap, maybe this is a bad idea. Because, you know, they say that the little babies are often, uh, well, not maybe not more dangerous, but just as dangerous. But in some cases, maybe more dangerous because their venom is more concentrated, or something to that effect. So, anyway... He said his arm felt numb and tingly and weird and all that for a while, but then he was okay. And, of course, he let the little little rattlesnake go, go back on its way. Um, but that just shows you what I'm saying. Like, some of these venomous snakes, uh, I would not want to be around. That's for sure. But... I, you know, I started reading about the survey stuff, and here it is, Halloween's coming up, and people are looking into ways to sort of, like, freak themselves out, and I was, I was looking at the uh, the ghost survey, and I was like, well, let's, let's see what the latest is on the UFO surveys. Uh, this year, there was a Rasmussen survey. You always hear about Rasmussen when you, you know, you hear all politics, oh, the Rasmussen surveys came out, and this is a, so, this uh, survey we've done this year, it says, um, the survey has found that just 13% of American adults have seen a UFO or even know somebody who has seen a UFO. 13%. That's very small. That's, I mean, like, you know, but you see, again, all right, here's the problem. UFO. Well, that's just an unidentified flying object. So if you interpreted that word accurately, almost everybody has at one point seen something in the sky, and you don't know what it is. 
But I think the reason that this survey would show such a low percentage, 13%, and again, we're just dealing with Americans here, is that we are bombarded now by drones. And so now it's very, very easy for people to see something weird and go, oh, that must be a drone. And if you are interpreting a UFO as a spaceship from another planet that has aliens in it, as opposed to just being some unidentified flying object, and you're asked, have you ever seen that? And they're like, well, no, I've never actually seen a spaceship with aliens. From, um, And it's much easier when you just see a strange light and, you know, to say, well, that's probably a drone. Especially since, I mean, the drone technology has become just incredible. Just incredible. I remember that Super Bowl that was, I don't know, a couple, two, three years ago where um, they coordinated hundreds of drones, little tiny drones up in the sky to produce these amazing patterns and displays. I mean, it's harder than ever to analyze UFO footage because of, of drones. But, again, this gets back to terminology. Because here is this article in The Guardian... Uh, written by Nick Pope. Now, Nick Pope is a great guy. He was in charge of investigating UFOs with the British uh, Ministry of Defense. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Nick Pope uh, at least once or twice. And uh, he uh, he he gave one of the greatest quotes I've, I've ever heard. I was asking him about the protocol they had in place, at least in, in uh, England there, if there was some invasion from another planet or whatever you want to call it. And he said, we would have meetings and we would discuss all of these issues and we would come to conclusions about protocol. But ultimately, and and, and this is the quote, he said, ultimately, quote, we realized some things were too sensitive to commit to paper, end quote. What a great, uh, well, I guess a great insight. Too sensitive to commit to paper. And that's what the really higher-ups do in the intelligence world. They realize some of this stuff so sensitive, you don't want to record it in any way. Because you never know when that's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Just look at what happened to Richard Nixon. He thought it was a good idea to record everything in his office, and it ended up being used against him. But anyway, apparently the surveys that are being done about UFO sightings are indicating that, that fewer are being seen, because the headline of this article he wrote is, UFO sightings may be falling, but Congress is still paying attention. And uh, I'm going to read you some of his article. He says, uh, renewed U.S. interest could produce some fascinating hearings. But the focus should be on the quality, not just the quantity, of reported sightings. His article goes uh, to, okay, here's how it starts. There's renewed interest in the UFO phenomenon, and it's coming from an unexpected source 
the United States Congress. The Senate Armed Services Committee is looking into a 2004 incident where U.S. Navy pilots flying with the USS Nimitz strike group encountered, chased, and filmed fast-moving unidentified objects. Uh, He goes on to say, in parallel, the uh, House Armed Services Committee is taking an interest. Uh, Records from April show that the committee received a Defense Intelligence Agency briefing on the Pentagon's UFO project. That's the one that I've talked about a lot, ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Um, Then he goes on to say uh, there are a number of civilian UFO research organizations, but the point he's making, he says, it would be better if the phenomenon were assessed and judged not on numbers alone, but by focusing on cases where we have compelling evidence, the independently submitted reports from pilots on different flights, visual sightings corroborated by radar, Photos and videos regarded as genuinely intriguing by intelligence community imagery analysts. But then he makes the point that I've been making in this podcast. He says, A first step in reframing the debate might be changing the language. The term UFO has become as obsolete and baggage-laden as the now largely defunct flying saucer. Both are widely but wrongly regarded as being synonymous with extraterrestrial spacecraft. Um, so he says, you know, when, when the question, do you believe in UFOs, is misinterpreted as do you think we're being visited by aliens, then we clearly have a problem. He says a lot of the people, uh, and you probably know this in the uh, the echelons of the high echelons of the UFO community are now preferring to call them UAPs, which is Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Okay, It's the same damn thing. But they're just trying to get a fresh start with this, and they claim that by using UAP instead of UFO, uh, he says in this article it's been more valuable to get people within the government to take it seriously and to put resources into it. And he even points out here that uh, um, when Hillary Clinton was campaigning, that uh, she was on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and she corrected him for using the term UFO and said UAPs. He uh, also says, We have yet to learn what Donald Trump thinks about UAPs. But his enthusiasm for a space force has certainly created a few conspiracy theories. Just the other day, uh, well, when I was in L.A., um, I'll just, I guess I'll just be a little more specific than that. There was a person who came to my wishing machine event who told me that... Uh, I'll say he or she, because I don't want to give away who this person may or may not be, but this person told me that he or she had had a life-changing encounter with these beings. And by listening to the story, you could very easily say, uh, under a different 
context, well, this was a UFO contactee kind of encounter. But the way this person felt about it was that it was not necessarily accurate to call them aliens, that this would be more like an interdimensional being of light. So again, um, that's why we have these nuances that are that are uh, important when we're trying to sort of figure out how to even begin terming these uh, things and, and addressing the language of how to have an intelligent discussion. Uh, getting that language as, as, as specific and common as possible. But then you have the question of, well, can you be... Um, can you be extraterrestrial without being interdimensional? In other words, is the only way that an extraterrestrial alien being able to utilize technology to travel here by being able to manipulate dimensions and the matter energy relationship that way so that you know basically you could sort of say an extraterrestrial may have to be interdimensional to get here but an interdimensional does not have to be an extraterrestrial you know these are these are the kinds of of things that you really have to think about when you're breaking down the the best most intelligent logical way of looking at these mysteries and and again it takes you back to that mind body environment relationship and what is matter and what is energy and that is one of the reasons that i am so fascinated by the concept of manifestation taking something that's non-physical and transducing it into something that is physical and vice versa in fact, here's an interesting email I want to read you. It's very brief. Um, I have many of these, but I'll just pick this out as an example. Just got this yesterday from a man who ordered Shelley Wright's Money Potion, which, of course, is designed to help you manifest money. And um, here, here's what he wrote. Kudos to Investigator Wright on her Money Potion. Checks are falling out of the sky from all sorts of unexpected places, even from some accounts that had been written off. Keep up the good work. Um, you know, when stuff like that comes in, and again, there's a ton of it, I find it interesting to see in what way uh, the abundance is manifesting. Because, you know, I was interviewed on a radio program a while back and uh, the host was talking about you know hitting the lottery and and you know whether you you're using a wishing machine or a wand or a potion or sigils or whatever um and that's by the way what finding your magic is about is that's a ebook i wrote you can get on my website that talks about different ways of trying to figure out how to manifest things um you never know exactly how the thing is going to manifest so he said, you know, I've had people who have, have have contacted me and sent me proof that they've hit the lottery using wishing machines. And so 
the host said, well, how, how do these people hit the lottery using the, the wishing machine? And the thing is, I don't recommend that you focus on hitting the lottery. I've talked about this many times. I, I recommend that you just focus on what you want, which is getting abundance. And then you let the universe work that out. How that's going to manifest. Because the universe is bigger and better than you are. And so you don't know. In some cases, for some people, it may be hitting the lotto. It could be you're walking down the street and you literally stumble upon some money. It could be somebody is charitable and gives you some money out of the blue. It could be that you get an inheritance or you get some kind of, you know, unexpected promotion or raise or it could just be an idea, a flash of genius that comes into your mind, an idea for how to do something to get what you want, you know, but you're not ever going to have that leprechaun show up and and give you your, you know your your pile of gold and you're not going to see it you know fall from the sky and rain down from a genie um manifestation can occur in many different ways and you never know exactly how it's going to uh to manifest and so that's why i think it's really important for when you're doing manifestation work uh you 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 think about I want this or something better, okay? And don't worry about the strategy for how you're going to get it or how it's going to come to you. You've just got to have your technique down pat. And if you want to know uh, more about this, uh, I'm telling you, the ultimate handbook to read is my book, Use the Force, A Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction. It doesn't matter if you're into Star Wars or not. If you read that book, Use the Force, It'll give you the foundation that you need. But uh, if you go to my website, joshuapwarren.com, I have a curiosity shop there. And it is full of manifestation experimental tools. Now, this is rare stuff, okay? This is not the kind of thing you can just go buy at Walmart. Most of it's handmade, custom-made stuff. And so my supply comes and goes, and you never know what's going to be in stock and then out of stocks. But... That's what happens with these very rare items. But if you go there to joshuapwarren.com, visit the curiosity shop, then you'll see some tools that you can play with. And also, uh, Finding Your Magic is an ebook that you can download instantly. And you can not only read the ebook, but I did an audiobook, and you'll get that too. So you can listen to me read the whole book to you. And it comes with all kinds of great supplemental materials, including a magic wand that will be shipped to you in the mail. So my website, again, is joshuapwarren.com. Just click the link to the Curiosity Shop. There's no period after the P in the website address, joshuapwarren.com. While you're there, click the link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short. It's always free. And you can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren at Joshua P. Warren and I will tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious and I will talk to you again soon.